Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, The Joyful Frugalista, and now here's your host, Serena Bird. Hello, Frugalistas, and welcome to another podcast of The Joyful Frugalista. Before I introduce my next fabulous guest, I'd just like to take this moment to ask you as a favor, if you love this podcast as much as I do recording it, please like and follow and subscribe and tell your friends. The more people that are regularly listening to it, the more encouraged I am to record future episodes. Now today, it's a bit of a flashback to the past, but in a very good way, I have invited back the very first person that I had on here as a guest on the podcast, and that is Late Starter Fire. Late Starter Fire started blogging about her financial independence journey when she was at the young age of 47. As she mentioned in the previous podcast that I recorded with her, At that age, she suddenly realized that if she wanted to retire early-ish, she had a fair bit of work to do. What I really love about her writings is her authenticity about telling the journey as it is. It's perhaps no wonder that her podcast has been consistently the most listened of all the podcasts. Hopefully, this second one will be even more listened to and more treasured than the first. Welcome, Late Starter Fire. Thank you, Serena. That was a really kind introduction. <laughs> well, it's true. You just like blitz everyone in the stats and you, you are an awesome person and I'm, I'm so glad to have you on here. But you know, as we've discussed, the funny thing is there's a number of people who are media personalities who I've interviewed and you consistently blitz them all. Thank you. I don't know why, but thank you. <laughs> Maybe just because you're a star. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to start by talking about starting late to a fire journey, because as you know, there's been a lot written about the magic of compound interest, the eighth wonder of the world that Einstein is reputed to have said. And therefore, a lot of people say you really, really need to start early. But what if you don't start early? Does that mean that you don't have the advantage of compound interest and like it's all just too late? No, compounding interest still works. So whether you're 20, obviously, the more time you have, the better it is and the less you need to start with. The challenge for late starters are basically the lack of time, that's true, but we also could be earning our peak incomes, So we, and we also probably have let lifestyle creep it into that income. Never. That never happens to us. Wear better clothes, take more luxurious trips, our experiences, the things we, we, we buy, etc. We eat at fancier restaurants maybe. So there's a lot that we can save, a lot that we can cut back if we look at our expenses. So I think we do have a bigger pot of money to then put into retirement saving or you know, the stocks or you know, whatever. But yeah, so I think we do have access to a bigger pot than say when we were in our 20s. So we have that, that bit of an advantage there. I guess it's a different time of life too in your late 40s, early 50s. Depending on what's gone on in many households, you perhaps don't have as many children's expenses or at least you're nearing the end of the children's expenses. Yeah. I mean, of course, not everyone has, has children and I don't think you do from memory. No. 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 Yeah. And I started mine very late, so I'm in the middle of that peak paying for kids. But for a lot of people in that age group, it's a different kind of phase of their lives too. And you can also maybe if the kids are no longer taking up so much of your time or in terms of financially or 
maybe you can concentrate a bit more on your career now or, or things that you want to, to do to, to improve your finances. You might be a little bit more freer to, to do that too. Yeah, that's a good point. And especially for women, there's a lot of research now that says that it's kind of they sort of go hard a bit earlier then they take time off or at least are not able to do that kind of extreme overtime when they've got young children. But then when they come out of it, they want to invest more into that, their careers or their businesses. That's right. That's right. Yeah, so it's a different kind of cycle. So it's not all over and done if you start late. Nope, not at all. I firmly, firmly, firmly believe that it's not too late, but the key is to start. Like You have to start, basically. What does starting look like? Usually people have had a few investments, they've had a few things happening, they might have had superannuation, for instance, but what does really starting on a fire journey later in life look like? I think you need to look at, I've actually recently written an action plan that's available on my website about, about that, about a plan that you can start with. But I basically look at, you've got to look at your numbers so you know where you're starting from. Like it might not be as bad as you think it is. That's what I always tell people. Like when I wake up and I, when I had that moment when I woke up in cold sweat and was really worried, etc. And I went into a real anxiety time thinking, oh, I can't retire, etc. But now looking back on it, I, maybe it wasn't as bad as what I thought that it was. But I was just so anxious. It was just, it was just doing my mind in basically because I was just so anxious. And once you've put a plan in place, it's actually not that bad and you, you can get there. So for me, it was like looking at your numbers and then looking at your expenses. Like there's no, there's no hiding away from that. Like at the end of the day, you have to have money left over to invest. If you've got no money left over, well, there's no, there's, there's no hope there. So you've got to look at that part. And for me, I started looking at the, the expenses because that, that's the easy part as such. You know, it's something that's within your control. And then you can look at your income and all that. But then it is also about the investing and, and all that. But you've got to have the money first before you've got to find some money to invest, something more than what you are already doing. Yeah, that's an important point because particularly when the economy seems to be doing well, there's a real rush towards people borrowing to invest. You know, borrowing to invest in shares, borrowing to invest in property, borrowing, 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 borrowing. But at some point, you've got to have your own money in there, don't you? Yes, definitely. Yeah. Mm. At this age, 47, it seems that you had a very intense reaction about worrying about your <laughs> retirement. <laughs> and you mentioned that you didn't think it was, in retrospect, it wasn't that bad. What was your kind of financial situation at age 47? I had paid off my house. That was... I don't know, maybe that triggered it. I, I actually don't know what, but anyway, so I had paid off my house. So I had money, the money that was going to pay off the loan was, so I had money to invest and I didn't know what to do with it. And then I looked and, and when I woke up that day, really stressed out about it. And when I started looking at how much you need to retire and, you know, the $1 million figure kept coming up and I thought, oh my God, I am so far from that figure. And somehow I stumbled onto the fire um, community and then they talk about you know, get your current expenses and etc so that made more sense if I can control my expenses then that one million dollar figure I might not need that one million dollar figure etc so then yeah so that's where I think that the panic was I'm so far away from from where I want to be I was in a stressful job and I didn't want to work another 20 years that I didn't think I, I could last that long, put it this way. Yeah, well, I hear you regarding stressful jobs and sometimes things go from being fine to being really stressful and it's lovely to have options, isn't it? Yes, yeah, absolutely. So now I feel, 
when I look back now and I think I look back at how anxious I was, so now I feel relieved. You know, like I'm really glad that I took action three years ago. It's a short time, like three years is not a very long time. Although I suppose with the pandemic and lockdown, et cetera, it seems the last year, 2020 seems to have been so long. Really, it's been three years only that I've started on this journey. And three years later, like I am so much more stable, so much more relieved, so much more comforted by the thought that I think I am on the right path and I think I will be able to retire at 55 if I just keep on the path. That, that's another story there. And having reached Coast Phi, or I, that's my definition of Coast Phi as a late starter, because I feel that I've got enough saved in my superannuation now for it to then double, hopefully, in the next 10 years to when I can access it at 60. So now, theoretically, I am at Coast Phi, which means that I have options. I can reduce my hours if I wanted to, etc. But I guess at this time, I feel that because I want to fully retire at 55, then I want to continue working because I need to save outside of super. So that's where I'm concentrating on now is to save outside of super. So let's just go back a little bit. You've written about Coast Fi, Coast Financial Independence. Could you perhaps explain a little bit more about what that means? Okay. When I first heard Coast Fi, I thought, oh, that means somebody living the fire lifestyle <laughs> near the beach. That, no. That's what I thought too. Like a, you know, a, what is it called? A, a, a coast change. Sea change. Sea change. <laughs> change yeah that's what I thought and I thought oh okay and then I was written to it I thought oh okay so what it basically means is that for most of the people is the young people obviously right? the young people in fire so they've saved enough in their retirement accounts that when they that they don't actually need to put in any more savings into their retirement accounts so if they say they're 30 they've still got 30 years before they can re- they can access that money by the time 30 years come around where they can access the money that money, even though you, have, you haven't put any more money into it, it will have grown and we're compounded in the background. It has the stock market growing, et cetera. By the time they're 60 or when they can access it, they have enough. Right now, they only need to worry about supporting their current lifestyle. So they could go and work part-time. They could do stuff that they really enjoy, travel, you know, whatever. But they only need to worry about current lifestyle and not having to worry about putting aside money towards their retirement. So it kind of like you're enjoying the FI lifestyle without reaching FI quite yet, if you know what I mean. So you're not going full out and burning out maybe and trying to get all that money up front and then retiring. So you're sort of coasting on into your financial independence. Right. You've got a little bit more freedom to go part-time or just to do yes. a few passion projects. Yeah, yes. So I never thought as a late starter that I would even, like when I read about it, I thought, oh, how nice, that's really nice. But I never, ever thought that I would be in that position. But now that I am, it's, it's amazing. Like you feel relieved. Like I feel relieved that I don't have to worry about that. As long as the stock market does what it does and so long as, you know, I don't think it's, yeah. I, I, I should be okay. I'm sure you will be more than okay. And what has, has that changed how you are at work? Have you sought part-time hours or you just know that you can if you want to? Sort of. Because, because I've concentrated the last three years on maxing out super, you know, sal- salary sacrificing a lot into super, I haven't invested a lot outside of super because you know, there's only so much money goes around. So I really need to build up the stash, I call it the bridge the gap fund, because I really need that. If I wanted to retire fully at 55, 
I've got five-year gap to when I can touch super. So I need to be able to fund that five years of my life. For the moment, I am going to work full-time, but I am toying with the idea of using up my long-service leave. But then I don't have that much long-service leave, so I'm trying to maybe work four and a half days or et cetera. But you're thinking about it, and I know you had a particularly busy time during COVID last year. Yeah, yeah. You don't feel like you're, what I'm hearing is that you don't feel like you're locked in forever to working long hours and being really stressed. That's right. That's right. And it is very freeing, this feeling. Yeah. And so then what would retirement look like for you? And I know you've actually done some work about thinking about what working looks for you with the things you want to do before you retire. But let's talk first about what retirement looks like for you. Yeah, good question. <laughs> because what I'm what I'm trying to think is that okay, so you've got five years before you fully retire. I think it's time to just transition into it. And I think I don't know, I've been thinking about it. I want to travel for sure, but I don't know. Hopefully by then COVID's settled down. I don't know in five years' time or what it would look like, but I want still want to travel. I still want to do something productive. <laughs> productive. Productive. <laughs> yes. Yes, I have an issue with that. Well, let's talk about that because I have an issue with productivity too and it's not the usual one. Well, maybe it is. And I know you've, you've blogged about this, so let's have a deep dive into this topic of why people, particularly women, feel like we need to do a lot to prove we're productive. I have no idea because I've always felt, I guess I've always worked as well, but I've always felt that you need to produce. Like you, need, you need to be useful. You need to be productive. You have to contribute. Yeah, and it's crazy because we're such an affluent country and if you've been working for a number of years, 10, 20 years in the workforce and you've got savings, like what does it matter if you're not productive after that time? Yes, and, you know, and like that's productive mean getting paid. That's produ- I, To me, I don't equate productive to getting paid, but I, I have to do something. Like I think if I'm lounging on the sofa, that's unproductive and that's, I feel guilty about it sometimes. But sometimes, like, I mean, like 2020 taught me that when you're so exhausted with all the mental stuff side of managing people with stress and with anxiety and fear and all that, you do need to take that time out. And you, you sometimes you just have to give in to that lying on the couch eating chips. <laughs> well, I'm not sure about the eating chips. I'm probably more like an eating chocolate sort of person, but there are times where I just like to lay on a couch and read a book and I always feel so guilty about that. But you learn so much from reading books. And I think it's one of those hobbies that's just kind of gone by the wayside for a lot of people because we just don't have time. We're so busy running around. At one stage, I was reading personal finance stuff, fire stuff, etc. And it's just nice now to just go back to reading non-fire stuff or joining the library and all that. It was just, it's, so it's been good. I'm learning not to be, not to feel guilty about it. Just to share, I actually don't mind reading romance novel. Recently, there was a lady in Canberra who died. Her name was Valerie Parv, P-A-R-V. And she'd done courses at the ACT Writers' Centre and I'd never gone. I was always a bit too busy and I wish I did. But anyway, she was a very prolific romance writer and her books have sold over 34 million. Now, it's easy to think that that's not a very, what's the term? It's not a genre that's likely to win a Prime Minister's Literary Award. But, you know, like it's nice light reading and it's nice. It lifts your energy level to thinking about positive things, gets your mind off work. It's a bit of escapism. Like, you know, why not? Yeah, why not? Yeah. <laughs> 
But anyway, let's get back to retirement and specifically the things you want to do before you retire. So what are the sorts of things you want to do while you're still working? I think I want to explore like hobbies and things and not just leave it to, I think I have this thing where, you know, I don't want to work full time and then finish on this Friday and then on Monday, I don't know what to do sort of thing. I think I want to, to, to explore other things, doing a veggie gardening and getting quite into that and, and et cetera. And, you know, I see there's other things that I, that I might like doing, who knows, because I've been working so much in the past that I don't have time to do anything. So now that gardening part is one avenue I can look into. I don't know at this stage, but I, I want to explore. Well, this is really important too, because there's a very high rate of people who, this is going to sound very morbid, but who die just after Retirement, like particularly when their work becomes their life, almost their religion, their guiding force. And when they they retire, it all kind of ends. And I mentioned this actually on one of my courses, a six weeks to abundance course, and there were two nurses on there and they both sort of looked at each other and sort of laughed and said, well, actually this happens all the time. She said the amount of times that they've got patients who have cancer and they're like, we've just retired or he's just retired, they've just bought the caravan, the camper van, they were just planning to go around Australia, and then now they've got cancer and it's too late and they wish they'd gone earlier. Mm, yes. I Yeah, I see that. Yeah. I don't want to leave everything to the last minute and to just go, okay, I won't do this. I will do this only when I retire, that sort of stuff. But, yeah, let's start exploring now. Probably sneak in a, a trip to Antarctica if possible, but, yeah. Trip to Antarctica, COVID willing. That sounds fantastic. Something that says I'm on a fire journey and I can do what I like. That sounds amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to talk now a little bit about property. So last year you tapped me to write on your blog about whether or not property was a good investment for late starter fires. Now you didn't just tap me, you tapped another blogger. You tapped Dave from Strong Money Australia. And we had fairly different views on property. Now, when we were writing, it was in the midst of a property slump when business confidence was very low, everyone was sort of panicking, the economy was in recession. Having had both of our contributions to that, I now actually want to reflect on that and see, has recent events, has that changed your opinion or your views on property for late starter fire people at all? No. (laughs) No, because it's a huge investment, especially in Australia. I guess I, I tapped both of you on that because I wasn't a property investor besides owning my own home. I don't have any investment properties. And basically, I felt that I left it too late. So I reached out to, to the two of you also because a lot of the stories from Late Starter to Five Series on my blog feature a lot of Americans and they use investing in property as a way to reach fire. But their properties, I mean, unless you're in a high cost of living area, like, you know, San Francisco, New York, and, and a few of the others, Seattle maybe, there are some very affordable prices in, in America. Whereas here, I don't know, like in, in all the coastal areas, like in, in east, the East Coast, like it's really, really expensive to get into the property market. Like you, it's hard enough getting your own primary residence, let alone to then stump up the money to get into investment property unless you start it young. So for me, at this late stage, for me, investing in shares was a, a better option. So I haven't changed my mind. I know now that the property market has gone crazy as well, but imagine trying to get in now. 
Mm, well, this is the reality, particularly for a lot of young people. Ooh. In Canberra, where I live, my husband's got children who are buying into the market. You're looking at about 850000 for a starting yeah. home and land package yeah. in a lot of places, which is quite a lot of debt. I mean, I know interest rates are low, but it does concern me. Are they prepared for three, four, five, six, seven, maybe even nine, ten percent interest rates? Yeah. Yeah. So, so for me, it wasn't a viable way. It's easier with shares. You don't need that big outlay. You don't need to borrow that much money and you can just do it month by month. You can do it. It's, it's much more achievable, much more accessible, I, I feel. Yeah. One advantage though, as you know, I've, I've written in, in my contribution to this is that people on a late starter fire journey are often at the peak of their careers. They're often earning an above average income because of, you know, where they're at. And so therefore the advantages of negative gearing are much better for them because they can reap the tax advantages to that. And they've probably got a stable career or job, which means that they've then got the money to service that as well. Yeah. It's kind of like a, a good time in their life to be doing it. They don't need to worry necessarily about starving young children or taking time off for carers, caring for, for their family. So they're a little bit more stable as well. But I don't think the banks are as interested in lending to people you know, like if you're in your 50s, they're interested in you, lending to you, or, you know, in your late 40s. They're not that interested. Um, I feel I feel that the lending criteria has, has tightened a lot. So I don't, I don't feel that they are as, as gung-ho in lending before the Royal Commission. But also, like at that stage of, I, I, I mean, I'm speaking personally, I don't want to be a landlord having to deal with things as well at, at this stage of my life. Like I just, I'm looking forward to retiring with no commitments. <laughs> No, it doesn't. So off on cruises to Antarctica, not getting phone calls about the plumbing, the toilet's blocked and we need you to fix it. Like it's pretty hard to do when you're off enjoying yourself overseas. I know you can employ property managers, etc. I know there are ways around it. Like I don't want to sound really negative about about investing in property. If that's what you want to do, go go for it. But if the numbers work out for you, go for it. Absolutely. (laughs) But um, yeah, but there are secondary concerns. There are other other just lifestyle issues as well mm. so it's not <laughs> yeah. not just the potential for the increases the lifestyle issues too yeah. yeah fair enough as you know I do love property but we actually sold a property last year so we actually reduced a little bit too and it was one that needed a bit of work and we recognized we didn't quite have the capacity Eliza gone into other sorts of directions since we bought it I hear you sometimes it's about simplifying and working out where you are in your life. We didn't really yeah. have the capacity or the interest in a really big reno. We've done we did some small renos this year. We spent a week doing some renos on another property I own, but this one needed extensive work and we just sort of realized we didn't quite have the capacity to do that. Hmm. So I'm not a fixer up person at all, no DIY skills. And that's something that I want to explore too. I always think, oh, I should go to Bunnings, but Bunnings I am scared in Bunnings. I have to go with a friend when I go to Bunnings because it is so overwhelming. I go in and I go, oh, the, the number of aisles, the number of, and I can't find anyone to help me. I don't know <laughs> what I'm doing. And I often walk out of Bunnings, not buying anything. Wow. That never happens to me. <laughs> <laughs> Ever, says she. There's always things on display that, that tempt me in Bunnings, but Quite seriously, though, Bunnings in non-COVID times does a lot of work in terms of outreach to women in particular to 
make it a little bit more friendly. So when this pandemic is over, I'm sure they'll be putting on more classes, more like they do yeah. ladies' nights and other things. Yes. I've often thought that I need to I need to learn stuff and to do those things. Yeah, and they've got craft stuff too, so it's not all grills <laughs> and so forth. But back to the fire movement, and I know you've written a great chapter in the Aussie Fire ebook that Perla, the share trading platform, has produced. And your chapter is about preparing for contingencies, specifically emergency funds. What is an emergency fund and how much should people put in it? I think it depends on your circumstances. So the conventional wisdom is like three to six months of your expenses. So I guess it, it all comes back down to you knowing what your expenses are. And, and it depends on your circumstances. Like if you know that you've got a stable job or in an industry where you can easily pick up work, then maybe that's not an issue. But if you're into freelancing, your income might be a bit flexible, then maybe you need more. To me, the emergency fund is really, there's, there's a practical part to it that obviously when you need the money, it's there readily for you. But to me, it's also a lot about the psychological part, like just knowing that you've got something there, if something were to happen, you have access to, to that money. That, that for me was, the, the, I guess, the most comforting part of it. And yes, I have, I have a six-month emergency fund in cash. I know people say that these days it's stupid having that in cash. You should really invest it or et cetera. But then I'm also of the, of the view that, you know, I don't want to, to sell my shares if I need to, I don't know, if my heater doesn't work in it's winter and I need a new heater or something or if I need to go overseas quickly because someone overseas is sick or something, you know, like so, so I, I like to have that amount of cash readily available. Let's talk about where this cash is. Is it in a bank account? Yes, for me it is in a bank account because I can then easily get it. I don't have to wait to sell shares, wait for that to clear. You know, three days later, I will have money in my bank. I, I have it right there and there. Like if I need, need it, I can go to the ATM today to get it. But it's not, a, it's not in my main bank account. It is separated, so I'm not then tempted to go, ooh, I've got that amount of money. I can go to Antarctica tomorrow. <laughs> Um, so, yeah. Well, that's it because it's a discipline, isn't it? For some people, having that amount of money in their bank account means they're going to spend it. Yeah. So, it's in a secondary bank account. So, I do have a card, but I do, my card, that card is not in my purse. I can, I can access it, but not easily. Fair enough. So, it's locked away. So, there's a disincentive to use it. Yeah. And um, finally, do you have a frugalista tip to share? Um, well, in my last episode, I shared that I get my hair cut in someone's, someone who works from home. So it's a lot, a lot cheaper. Well, unfortunately, that she's not doing that anymore with COVID times. So I've had to go to the shops to get my hair cut. So now what I do is I just trim my fringe myself and let it grow out a lot more before I go to the hairdresser. That's about my frugalista tip. So you've learnt to do some hair cutting yourself in between yes. visits. In between visits, yes. So I drag it out a bit longer, you know, so my hair gets a bit longer. But the fringe is the bit that annoys me the most. So that I keep under control myself. One day I will graduate to actually cutting the, the rest, but I'm too scared at the moment. Well, you can buy special things that put it in place. And I've tried and I, I failed miserably. I am not nearly as frugal as you are when it comes to the hairdressing. 
Oh, you can buy things that you can put? Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, like you can buy like a band thing that you can sort of put things into place. Yeah. I tried it and it didn't work, so I gave it to my sister. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm too scared to try that. <laughs> well, thank you so very much for being my guest again a second time. Now, I know people can find you on your blog, Late Start of Fire. Where else can they find you? You're active on Twitter, I believe. Yes. I also have a Facebook group, but I'm, yeah, but I'm more active on Twitter. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much. No worries. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. You've been listening to The Joyful Frugalista with Serena Bird. She actually likes everybody. And, of course, sound has been by Neil Hadley. Stop.